So grab a beer and have a bath with some tunes inside my head. Relax and try and have a laugh with the boys from in this Back, but but not the same. Not the same. Evolved. You changed. You've changed, you man. Changed. <laughs> it used to be cool. Where's that from? I don't know. <laughs> I uh, think that's in actually Beverly Hills Cop One. Um, I watched that recently. Eddie Murphy is in a strip joint with with um, Taggart and, and Rosewood. And Billy Rosewood. And to disarm, whose first name of the, the actor's name is Judge. Judge Reinhold. Oh, yeah. And he's there's some there's a couple of gangsters scoping out the joint. That's yeah. what they called it. Casing the joint. Casing the joint. Yeah. And to try and disown him, he goes up and pretends that he knows him as right. a drunk. Yeah. So he's going, uh, and then Wait, the guy gets a bit name? aggressive and Isn't he goes, it? You change. Anyway, yeah, we're back after the long summer break. It's been a hot, long, hot it's summer. Been a lo- it's been a hot summer, hasn't it? I've mainly spent it lying in the garden, massaging coconut oil over my naked What a terrible, head. terrible vision. I'm that very is. hairy man as well. It's very matted. <laughs> God. But it's been nice. It's the been word, hot in The word ma- matted is never, not a sexy word, is it? There's no <laughs> sexy connotations to the word matted. Mm, not generally speaking, <laughs> unless you have a fetish. So... We've been enjoying the summer, but we're back with a refreshing change, aren't we, we're Steve? Gonna, we changed the podcast. We went into the top secret science shed development labs. We did. Um, it was like a brainstorming session. Uh, in the pub. A, it was a hurricane storm. <laughs> exactly. It was basically Force 5. Force yeah. 5, Category five. 5, Force 12. Yeah. Force 12, the, Force on 10. The, on the both Force Force scale. 10, Force I 12. I think it's a 12. Yeah. Anyway, it was bad. Yes. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> but, we got, but we've got... We, we, we've come up with something. We've come up with a, with, a, with a plan, and actually, yeah. regular listeners to the podcast may have may have had a snip, may have had a, an inkling from this. So, we, so the second season of um, the Science Shed is going to work a bit different, isn't it, Nick? It is. We've got a theme. We have. What is that theme? We've got a name. Science vinyl. Science vinyl. Science vinyl. Yeah. So what we thought we'd do rather is we're going to um, pick an album uh, every week, and then we're going to use the track listing of that album. To focus our sciencey chat, aren't we? It's kind of a gimmick, really, isn't yeah, it, Steve? But we both like music. We do, and we both like science. We do, kind of. Yeah, yeah. When it doesn't impinge too drastically on our lives, indeed. Yeah, like every waking moment of every waking hour. And um, and we thought other people might enjoy having an album that we build the chit chat around. So we're going to have a crack anyway. Okay. So, so we need to know what you think. So we're going to do this for around eight or ten episodes. Yeah. And see how it goes. Yep. So we're gonna. Um, so we have to pick an album. So when you first think about it, we had to sit. We had to sit down together and decide what the, the first album of Science Vinyl would be. Well, I don't think I had any input. You just chose it, and I said yes. Okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's how. That's what happens in the Science Shed Experimental Lab. <laughs> Steve comes in and says, There's "You can choose anything as long as it agrees with what I decide." You just. Well, no. It was. We, I thought that was a good choice. Okay. So On what, another occasion, let's say if you picked an album. I don't know. Let's think. Maybe um, Sting, his latest release. <laughs> exactly. I might have vetoed you that. Might have picked the, yeah. 
Although uh, I do... What's wrong with Sting? I, I'm Stingy. I'm reasonably partial Stingers. to... What do you reckon Sting's mates, Sting's mates call him? Do you reckon they call him Sting? Gordy. It's Gordon, is that his name? Gordon. Right. Yeah, Not he stingy. lives near me. Right, okay. He lives in uh, Wilshire. Really? Well, he's got a, one of his many houses there. Okay. Don't know how often he's Have you ever there. seen him? Sting, no. Yeah, yet. No. But I'll keep an eye out for him when I'm trotting over the downlands in my walking boots to Indeed. see a strange... Thin bloke sitting cross-legged, naked on a hill. Yeah, masturbating. A, well, he wouldn't. He'd be doing tantric okay. activities with um, Trudy. Is that his, his wife? wife? Trudy Styler, yeah. Well, he very, can go for like 11 up hours. on uh, on the celebrity can go for 11 hours. where they live. And for someone, you dismissed Sting straight away about him not being very good music, but you know quite a lot about him. Well, Sting is a fascinating character. Maybe we should... We're not doing Sting. <laughs> He's a bit of a dick, to be honest. My friend was telling me once that he, because he's from Newcastle. Oh, no, I've got this mixed up. It's not Sting. Tiffany. I'm thinking of Tiffany. The singer (laughs) Tiffany. As in, in I think we're alone now. She was performing in a Newcastle shopping centre and someone threw a Dunlop trainer and it hit her in the side of the head. Was it Green Flash? I think it might have been, (laughs) but he developed new respect for her because she just carried on. She carried on going. She just ignored it. So the only common part of that story with Sting was it happened in Newcastle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, a... should we have a go? All right, let's crack on. Go. So the Benz. Yeah, the Ben. Oh yeah, we should say that. The oh, Benz. The Benz. By we're Ray- doing the first album. We're doing is not the Sting. Is the Benz Radiohead. by Radiohead. So the Benz was an album by Radiohead. Tell me more about the album and the the zeitgeist of the world when it popped out of yeah. Tom York's bottom. Well, cast your minds back. Yeah. Listeners and Nick to, to 1995, and I went. I kind of think like, well, so what was happening in the world in 1995? So uh, I was. Uh, how, how how what was Nick doing in 1995? This is when the Radiohead was re- released. I, I don't want to say. I was dyeing my hair blonde. Dyeing hair blonde like Tom York. Oh, did I? Yeah, like Tom York. Yeah. I was still mourning the death of Kirk Cobain. Right, of course. We were all mourning. Previous year, we were, right? I was all wearing black. 94, April yeah. 94, I believe we kicked the bucket. Yeah. Um, what else was I doing? I did my A-levels. You did your A-levels. I went to university. In 1994? 1995. Did you really? Yes, I did. Wow. Don't, don't say it like that, you absolute <laughs> kid. I was 13. Um, oh. So, these are the things that are happening. So, John Major, obviously, was the Prime Minister. The, was he? The, the, um, the, the grey spitting image puppet. More pays, Norma. Yeah. These are the couple of things I found that happened in 1905. Eric Cantona did his famous flying kick. Oh, I remember coming Tri- back from you, the pub and my, my can you remember, dad saying... Can you remember the uh, team that he was playing Crystal against? Crystal Palace. That's right. Yeah, part. Of course good. I do. Um, uh, Nick Leeson, the rogue trader, went to prison. Did he? For, for destroying Bering's Bank. Bering's Bank. Bering's Bank. Was yeah. that that long that ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crikey 1995. So, yeah, so that's, that's what was happening in the world at that point. And, and then... Radiohead pop out this wonderful nugget of the Benz. I would call it a post-grunge masterpiece. So the way, the yeah. way so this is going to work, so we've got, so there's a, um, what we're going to do is Nick and I have divided up the, the tracks into odds and evens. And we're going to go through the album. For each one of those, we're going to do a bit of a sciencey nugget that's kind of loosely, and I use the term loosely, related to the track listings. Um, and then at the end, we're going to decide which is the best sciencey nugget. And then we're going to play that track to close, to close the, the podcast. Um, so Nick drew the the short straws. He's going first. Mm. You got the odds. So what? Let let's let's get on with it. Planet Telex, Steve. Track one. 
Track one. All right. Good entry, good start to the album. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. I yeah. really like it, yeah. yeah. Do you know what it means? No. I didn't know what it means either. All right, look at you. You're all smug. And I think it's about Tom York being a bit sad. I, to be honest, I think you can say about most really <laughs> songs. That might be a running theme of this, yeah, of this particular hour. album. Yeah. Didn't know what didn't know what Planet Telex means. Okay. But Telex. Yeah. Do you know what Telex is? Is it some kind of electronic communication? Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> so they wanted to call it Planet Xerox, apparently. Radiohead. Did. The, they wanted to call the track. Yeah. Planet originally, Xerox? but they weren't allowed to because of Xerox not allowing them to use the name. So they yeah. called it Planet Telex. So who do you think the first people to send text to each other was, Steve? The first people. So how do you define text? It wasn't me and you. No, it wasn't us. Um, you, in terms of like electronic information. transfer of text from one person to another person. Okay. Hmm. Uh, I reckon that was probably in the late 70s. No, it wasn't. It was in the 30s. Yeah. In Germany, uh, prior to uh. the Nazis. Yeah, they started off and they had these things called telex. So this is a type of way in which people transfer text messages to each other. Well, like Morse code. Well, like if you think about telegrams, yeah. originally that required an operator. So you had one person at one end of the line interpreting signals and yeah. wrote down a bit of paper. Telex is like an automatic telegram. Right. So you had one person with a typewriter at one end. Yeah, and typing then a, it in. Typing it in. And there's someone at the other end Listen. where it automatically printed it out. No, you didn't even have to right. write it down. So it it's automatically like a robot. printed. That's what Telex is. Okay. So it was going up until the 90s and may even be still in use. Huh. It's become a little bit um, out of, went out of fashion with the advent of the fax machine. Of course. Which is a very high spec um, innovation, isn't it, the fax? We all use fax these days. Uh, uh, do, do you, you know put fax at the bottom of your email? <laughs> no, I don't. Track two. Oh, all right, the bends. So what, what made me think of the bends um, was uh, obviously um, the, the medical condition, the bends. I thought we could talk about the science of that. Um, so, do you know what the medical, t- the actual medical name for the Benz is? Decompression sickness. Oh, he's good, isn't he, <laughs> listeners? He's very good. Or sometimes called caisson, caisson disease I'll as well. Um, and so, for anyone who doesn't know, it's it's when, uh, well, you tell me, what what is the Benz? Um, at certain pressures, ga- certain gases become less soluble. At all pressures, gases vary their solubility. Yeah. So, so the idea, so it's very common for people with like deep sea divers, and the, 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 the principle is that as you change pressure, the solubility of gas can change <coughs> with the, uh, that's dissolved in that liquid. So it, when deep sea divers go down, uh, into a, down very, very high pressures, um, large amounts of gas can be dissolved in the fluid in their, in their body, i.e. the blood or whatever. And as they come up, that gas is then cannot be contained, cannot be dissolved in the... Um, in the solvent anymore. It's kind of weird to think about it, right? So if you take like a pan of water and just boil it, right? Right. So prior to it boiling, it will do right. a thing called degassing, right? And what's happening there is all of the gas dissolved in the in the in the saucepan of water. So there's oxygen in the water. It kind of makes sense how fish breathe and stuff, right? But if you boiled water continually to get all the oxygen out and then put fish in it, they die. There's no oxygen in the water. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, well, that's why when people squirt bad things, if you get organic. Um, if you get organic contamination of water, yeah. like with sewage, then the bacteria chomp it all up and they use up all the oxygen. It's not enough for the fishes and they all float to the surface yeah, in a really depressing way. Anyway, there's, do you know what? Do you know there was a chemist who discovered uh. this wonderful phenomenon? What was he called? Stephen L- Bloody Lee? <laughs> no, it's called William Henry. Oh, yeah, Henry. H- Henry's Law. Henry? Do you know what Henry's Law is? No. 
And it's essentially that the amount of gas is proportional to the partial pressure. Um, so the amount of gas dissolved in the liquid is proportional to the partial pressure above it. Um, well, I don't know what partial pressure means. Uh, the pressure of the gas above the liquid. Okay. Anyway, he published this theory in the in the Royal Transactions of the sorry the um, Royal Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society um, in 1803. This this and I I looked up the paper. And it's got a couple of just little nuggets in which I think you'll appreciate. So William Henry, Mr. William Henry's Experiments is, is the title of his letter. Um, uh, and he, he starts off and he talks about, um, he, like most um, let, letters of the time, he talks about what's come before him. We still this today in the science paper, right? Uh, and he, he talks about Joseph Priestley. Oh, yeah. Who discovered oxygen. He did, Concurrent with Antoine Lavoisier. That's right. Um so he talks about some of the previous experiments of um, of uh, Dr. Priestley, he refers to him as. He says, The influence of pressure in accompanying, accomplishing this strong impregnation was the first, I believe, suggested by Dr. Priestley. He then goes on to say, and then he then describes him, which I would love to be described by, about this one day scientifically. He says, by the most ingenious philosopher observes. And then he just talks about him. So I just like the fact he called him that. Anyway, he talks about this machine he uses to, 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 to measure gases dissolved in liquids. He actually uses mercury, but it works with water as well. Um, and then he, shows, he describes the, uh, the, the instrument he uses. And in one part of it, for some reason, when I read this, I thought of Eunuch. He's talking about his instrument. So like he's saying, uh, you know, a strong agitation was applied and saying that there's lots of different vessel A and vessel B and they used uh, like a quicksilver, so, so mercury. And at the bottom of it, he said... Um, at position A was cemented a cock provided with a screw. And I just thought of you, Nick. I thought you quite like that. Because you think that I'm smutty enough to think that... Pretty much. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you think... something? So it takes the carbon dioxide. So all gases dissolve differently in liquids, right? Mm. So how do you think ca ca carbon dioxide varies... The solubility of carbon dioxide varies with temperature? Um... So if I got some water, some, some of it's going to be some carbon dioxide. The warmer it is, the more soluble it is. No, the other way around. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it gets warmer and then it's less soluble. Yeah, so the, the gas comes out, right? Whoa. So, so if you th think about this, so take a Coke can, right? right. So that, that, that's the objective truth, right? So the... the, the take the, a Coke the, can. The, 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 the more, the hotter something is, the less carbon dioxide dissolves in it. Mm. So you take a warm can of Coke yeah. and a, a cold can of Coke straight from the fridge. Yeah. And imagine in that can, before you open it, there's a little bit of a gas above the yeah, can yeah. of Coke, right? Is there going to be more or less gas in a in a in a room temperature can of Coke? Yeah, more because it's less soluble. Yeah, exactly. So actually, when you think about it, because of Henry's law, Coke at room temperature is less fizzy because there's more carbon dioxide in the in the in the in the gas phase and not in the liquid. Phase. Wow. Steve, this is a quick one. High and dry. Do you remember Evil Can Evil? <laughs> I do, yeah. Do you really? I remember. I don't know of him, rather than remembering him. I had an evil Knievel toy. He was like a, um, he was like a acrobat, wasn't he? He was a stunt daredevil oh. motorcycle rider. Yeah. Jumped over buses and things. Right. Uh, this song's about evil Knievel. Is it really? <laughs> Two jumps in a week. I bet you think that's ah. pretty clever. It's about apparently I read it, and it's about someone not being aware of their. Um, you know, their loved ones when they do ridiculous, reckless acts. Ah. I think. Well, there we go. Anyway, follow on that fascinating piece of information. <laughs> I've got some facts about evil fucking Knievel. All right, hit me. The quick fire evil Knievel round. <laughs> do you know why he's called evil? Evil. Why is he evil? Because his agent wanted to call him evil. 
Just Evil. Just Evil. No, no, Evil Knievel. His surname is Knievel. Yeah, Mr. Knievel. Just Evil Knievel. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted to call him <laughs> Evil, and then Mr. He's called Robert, I think, is his real name. But Bo- so actually, no, I don't. Bobby Knievel. Pe- I don't want people to think I'm evil. So I want you to call me Evel, Evel <laughs> Knievel, as if making that distinction was going to make him sound not evil. Yeah. We're just going to choose another homophone. <laughs> yeah. Evil. No, no, I don't want to be called evil. Oh. Put in E. Evel. Nicholas. Steve, what's the next one? The next one is track four, Fake Plastic Trees. Interesting. My, um, I think probably my favourite song ever written. Are you serious? Yeah. I think it's pretty average. No. And also it was used at the end of a TV commercial. Yeah. It was on a TV Sure, but can't I have it? Can't you just leave it in my heart for me? Um, Anyway, I was thinking about Fake Plastic Trees. Why is it your favourite tune? I just love it. Why? Because I, cause you have to tell me, I was 13 when this oh, came okay. out. Oh, okay. So it's right? got a deep emotional meaning to yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're feeling a bit surly and well, moody 13. and hormonal. Every, yeah, well, I was 13. Yeah, okay. Um, anyway, um, so I was thinking about it. I got start, I started looking into, well, actually, what I was looking at was um, trees, wood. So what is wood, Nick? Do you know what wood is? Well, I, I think I do. Yeah. But it's like a hard thing that you <laughs> chop up and burn and sometimes build houses from. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been building a lot with wood recently. Um, yeah. Uh, so so wood uh, actually is quite chemically, it's quite complicated. Right. Um, so essentially it's a mixture of cellulose yeah. embedded in a matrix of lignin. Yeah. Now, so I started looking at cellulose. When do you yeah. think we when do you think we synthesize yeah. cellulose? When do we don't, why do we need to synthesize cellulose? Because get it, on, it literally grows, grows on, on trees. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get fake wood. You don't buy fake wood. Well, this is. But why don't you? Because it's cheap to get it from chopping down a bloody it's not, tree. It would be cheaper to synthesize it if you can make it. We don't make drugs by like synthesizing aspirin from a, from by growing willow trees, do we? Mm, okay. Fair right. Enough. So 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 cellulose is this kind of polysa- polysaccharide, right? Um, it is. It's lots of sugars all joined up in a big long row. Exactly. Um, so, the, um, the the synthesis of this is actually uh, was was the um, was only really finished. We, we've known about cellulose since 1836. There's a French chemist called Anselm Pagan was the first person to discover the structure. Was of, he a Christian? I don't know. Probably not. Um, and then you have this. So you have these long fibers, like you said, and they're like stuck together with this other kind of what's called a like cross-linked um, phenolic resin. So that which is called lignin, which is right. this other chemical. Um, cross-linked phenolic resin. Yeah. So phenolic resin. Can you smoke it? No. Probably so you, not. Anyway, so I, I found this paper by this guy, guy called uh, Shiro Kobayashi, right? He was a he's a, a professor in um, Japan. He was. A, he's a bloody Kaiser Soze. It is. <laughs> It's, uh, what's, what's this is like making a joke about someone called Smith, isn't it? Japanese <laughs> people. Like, yeah. Oh my god. Anyway, the, the, so they've been trying to make they've been known they've known about cellulose since 1838. Actually, it was only into the early 2000s by the time we could actually chemically like artificially synthesize it. Right. So it took that long. Right. Chemists hate that of knowing the structure and not being able to make it drives us mad. Yeah, but I don't think you bothered to do it. Like people don't make starch. Do they? People don't like make synthetic stuff. The, go- the goal is that if you can make, you can make unnatural polysaccharides, and you can start to. That sounds so unholy. 
<laughs> no wonder he was called Pagan. Anyway, there's three reasons. This guy, this guy out, outlines the reason why it's taken over 150 years to figure out how to do this. Um, one is the the stereo center. They've got stereo center. So I don't know what the hell. That okay, means. so it's about the chemistry. So there's a there's a carbon in the middle of the of the structure of the the, the repeat unit of um, cellulose. What like a what? So, <laughs> so so these molecules are made up of carbon. Yeah, oxygen. yeah, 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 yeah. Carbon. If car if a carbon atom is attached to four different chemical species, oh it's yeah, de- yeah, described as chiral, so it r- rotates light. So it's, it's like a node. It's in the middle of like. Okay. Yeah, um, that. So and it's really difficult because the, it's difficult to get the angles of all of the different compounds in the right place. I bet right? it is very um, small, hard yeah. to line up. Um, but the, but the main reason, do you know what? It's hard to make it. Why well, it took them a long time to figure it out? Because no one could be asked. No, and they, didn't have they any spent a hundred years trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, but maybe they didn't have any money. When no, they were, like, no, no, no. People have been working on it okay, for ages. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's the cellulose doesn't dissolve. It dissolves in almost no solvent. Does it? Not even acid. Very, very, very few solvents. You have to right. use combinations of extremely weird solvents. Right. And so it took us basically to to um, develop plastics that can contain some of these really strong solvents so we had to develop the whole of the plastics in the petrochemical industry to enable us to be able to like make cups that can hold the solvent that can dissolve the components that make cellulose it's just really insoluble it doesn't like to dissolve in anything bloody hell yeah um can i just ask a question has yeah. this revolutionized my life in any way uh, no, it's quite interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. Um, n- n- not yet. So Where ma- can I buy some? Th- so they make, well, they're all in research labs at the moment. So now oh, a big area of research lab man. is... It's a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> they're, making, they're making these uh, un- unnatural uh, polysaccharides, uh, which they're trying to combine with lignin to make new forms and flavours of wood. Fuck me. Yeah. So, fake plastic trees. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Good, yeah. I like you it. You see where I went yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm amazed I didn't immediately <laughs> think that. Nick, what's the next track? Bones. Bones. You love bones. I do like bones. I work on bones and I have an interest in them. Yeah. Specifically how they heal. Right. Are you going to talk about that or are you going to talk about something else? A little bit. I mean, bones are quite interesting in their structure inside. Okay. Because in big animals like humans, you have quite an intricate structure in your bones. Yeah. So you've got different types of bone. You've got trabecular bone, which is like a crunchy bar in the middle. Yeah. Or like that's to kind of save on weight. You have little struts. So, so where, where, where in your body would you have bone like that? You've got lots of trabecular bone at the top of your femur, where right. it goes into your hip. So you want a lot of space, but you don't want it to be heavy. Is it, that the idea? You want it to be strong, yeah. but not too heavy. Right. So what happens is rather than just having solid bone, yeah. it has little struts inside little it. which Like, are like a 3D printer. Yeah, if you imagine the inside of a crunchy bar, yeah. I mean, that's not quite the same, but it's, it's similar. Yeah. It's light, but it's strong. Light, but it's strong. <laughs> okay. She's small, but she's strong. <laughs> anyway, so um, that's exactly what... So, and, and different, like, your bones in your legs is, is hollow. Right. Um, it's got marrow in the middle. And that cuts down on the weight. What, it's also what, strong because the cortex bones, is a very solid. What bones don't have anything in the middle? What are solid? Oh, that's a good question. Ribs? I'm not totally sure. I think, I think pretty much all bones have some kind no. of cavity in the middle. Okay. Yeah, I think they all do. Don't don't take no, my word no, for that. No, there okay. may there may be exception. Anyway, generally they're hollow and they're designed to be light but very strong. Yeah. But it, even within the strong bones, so that's the solid bone. Mm-hmm. You have these little structures, and because bone is alive, it's like Flash Gordon. It's alive. <laughs> 
Gordon's life! Actually, the bone's very, very alive. So it's got blood vessels running through it. And it's yeah. got these tiny little things, and they're called canals. Canals. Yeah, Haversian canals. And they've just got little tubes. Little tubes that run through the bone. Tiny little tubes where blood vessels and nerves live. Yeah. And around those tubes is a system of rings. Uh-huh. And if you look at them, like in a, if you chop the bone and you look under it in a microscope, it looks like lots of tiny concentric rings forming a pattern. You know, like our texting on the yeah. ceiling. Yeah. You'd, you'd hate our texting. I don't hate you? our texting. Yeah. We're in Steve's new flat at the moment, and I reckon you do the R texting. Shut up. <laughs> so it looks like R texting. Right. And basically, those little rings are kind of areas where the bone has been built. Yeah. So basically, what happens is when bone changes, so bone is constantly remodeling. Yeah. Constantly changing its shape to adapt to loads. So the more weight you put on the bone, the more strong it becomes. Right. This is why when astronauts come back, they've got all wobbly bones. Exactly. Yeah. Tennis players in the old days, yeah, much thicker, something like 30% thicker forearms on their strong hand compared with their weak hand. Right. The bone grows because it knows there's more force there. Anyway, it remodels because these little cells called osteoclasts come along and chomp it up. And then cells called osteoblasts remodel behind it. And by doing that, they change the shape and the orientation of the bone to make it stronger in particular directions. Okay. Makes sense. Exactly. Anyway, I just came across this paper. And it's someone who I know. But it was just quite a cool paper. And I kind of like feel a bit jealous. What's the paper called? Uh, oh, God. Secondary osteon scale allometrically an animal humerus and femur. It doesn't really matter what it's called. But basically what they did was they were interested in how these little circles, the yeah. artexing, yeah. scaled with animal size. Because a lot of organs scale yeah. with animal size. Like so the bigger you are, the bigger your liver is, generally speaking. Right. Like so a blue whale's got the a massive bigger, heart. Exactly. The bigger you are, the bigger your, your whole bone would be. Yeah. What about the tiny structures within it? Are they scaling with animal size as well? Yeah, so your tubes and the whole... So they wanted to find that out. Right. And certain things scale with animal size, certain things don't. Yeah. So your pancreatic islets, for instance, I don't believe they scale with animal size. They've got different constraints. Right. But certain things do. Anyway, they wanted to find out. It's too long a story. They do. So the the artexin gets bigger in in an elephant. Yeah, so if you look... Um, so it's not, there's not more of the same size Artex, that the Artex has got bigger. Yeah, but they looked through so many... So what they did was they went to... We obtained access to the historical series of Thomas John Thomas Queckett's collection of microscope sides in the museum. Oh, I bet that's a wonderful place. We collected transverse like, sections from femoral humerus of mammalian species, total, total 61 specimens, 56 species. And the, for each of them, they so basically, they measure them. And they've got all kinds of things here. They've got a dugong. Do you know what a dugong is? Yeah, they're like, it's like a sea cow. Or yeah. Whatever, yeah. Mole, That's narwhal, cute. otter, no. seal, walrus, wombat, all kinds it's, of them. It's, so it's, some it's, PhD It sounds student, very Victorian, doesn't it? It sounds like Victorian zoology. You have to just go into this wonderful room full of like mahogany yeah, walls look, there's a and things. Of the slides. So I'm showing Steve one of the slides. Yeah, here. lovely. Do you, what does that say there, Steve? There's hippopotamus. Hippopotamus. It's it's quite written, a nice it's written font in hand, handwritten, yeah, yeah, but, but in like a serif font. Yeah, someone's yeah, yeah. capital serif font. And that these are the Haversian system. So if you look very carefully, these are the. Uh, the can R-tex you see thing. these sort of artexy sort of patterns? Yeah, I Each get of it. those holes. So we'll put this up later. But there's a little hole in the middle, and then there's sort of concentric rings around it. Yeah, that's cool. But it's fascinating, and they found that they do scale with animal size. Um, there's other things as well, like Richard Owen is brought into the story. Do you know Richard I don't Owen? Know is? Who's Richard Owen? He was also known as Darwin's bulldog. So he was like a big advocate of the theories of evolution. 
had a lot, lot of debates with um, another chap called Wilder, Wilberforce, yes. who was a religious yeah. dude who yeah. refuted evolution. Yeah. So they had a lot of um, arguments in the Victorian period. Anyway, like Richard Owen was the predecessor of Queket, who kept them. Um, he, he had the right to claim any freshly deceased animal there. So he had he had That's dibs cool, isn't it? on any dead animals. He had the dibs. So, but where does where does one get the the animal the animals from? Well, they Just obviously went shooting them. I mean, they must have done something like that. Anyway, they they plotted. They can plot the animal size against Austin size. So I'm showing Steve a series of graphs now. There's a basically a graph where there's a straight line drawn through them to show that there's a relationship between it's animal not, it's size. It's not that and good though. No, I, I, I'm, I'm on this in the outliers. What's the ones at the bottom and the top? I What's can't that read one? Them. It's too small. Uh. I think that's bear. Oh, actually, yeah. no, no, no. These are in Latin, so I've probably misread that. <laughs> um, here we go. Duh. BSLT, hippopotamus. Oh, I don't know, Steve. Doesn't matter. You can read the paper if you want. <laughs> it's a fascinating read. And I like the ethical notice at the end Gun as well. Because usually in these papers, you'd have to say, I've got ethics approval number, blah, 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 blah. And went through the ethics committee. But this several drafts. This pred predates it a lot. It just says, yeah. as the samples used for over 150-year-old museum specimens, no ethical approval was required. Um, what's the next tune, Steve? The next tune is Nice Dream. I started looking. I came across this uh, group, this guy called uh, Jack Gallant, who works at Berkeley, right? Oh yeah, know him well. Of course. So he's a he's a uh, he's a cognitive neuroscientist, right? Okay. Um, and do you know what he does? So um, like you go to, uh, quack science. No, he does. He does real science. <laughs> um, so he puts people in MRI machines, like a lot. Basically, all psychologists, as far as I can tell, do this. And then and then he kind of like studies how they think. So if you and then like sees what pattern the, the brain's making at that point. If you go to his um, website, he's got wonderful like papers, things called like. Uh, What's he called again? The guy, the guy's called Jack Gallant. Anyway, he's got papers like uh, decoding the semantic context of natural movies from human brain activity and things like that, right? But anyway, he had this really cool paper I wanted to tell you about from 2011, where he showed people a load of pictures, right? Like while they're sat in an MRI scanner, right? Right. Um, and then they 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 imaged the brain, and they did this with a series of people. They did it with like a few hundred people. And then what they did is they, they then fed to the computer in a machine learning algorithm that data and tried to get it to back convert what the original stimulus must have been in order to be able to see that because it knew the answer. Does that if I explain that well? Well, I so think you'd have to you, you'd have to do that several times first, and then the computer would have to predict. That's so. This is what they did, right? So I'm going to show Nick now. Here's an image from this paper where the the image on the left is an image that they played to the individuals. And the image of the right is what they they took data from from multiple people's uh, MRI scans, and from that they can predict that image. Is that Steve Martin? It's Steve Martin in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Um, well, it looks like on the left there's a man in well Steve Martin do <laughs> in a white shirt, and on nah. the right um, it reminds me a bit of you remember when that woman in a church in France tried to repaint. <laughs> Okay, like it's not very good, right? But it, but you can broadly see it looks like a person, right? Would you agree with that? Like a you really. You know what? That is so amazing that I actually don't believe it. I, 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 neither did I. And actually, this series, that's actually the best image. They showed some other images that didn't yeah. work quite as well. Yeah. Um, but this is so. This is his goal, right? His goal is he wants to be able to read, read people's, people's dreams. Mind. Oh, dreams! Nice dream. Why not so, just people's minds? That too, right? 
but the, the goal is is they want to be able to just from looking at where the where the where water is in the brain. That's how I'm. Sorry, but that right. is isn't that fucking nuts? Insane. Isn't that nuts? But I want I I wanted now I want to find out more about this because yeah I just cannot believe. I'll, I'll send you the paper. So um, basically, let me t- so he's let me just get this straight. Yeah. There's a hundred. He's got this machine which he's trained. Here you go. Look, he's yeah, trained I, the yeah. machine. I'm going to show you this series of images um, that they used. Um, and all of this data. So Nick's now looking at. So they're videos. They're not even just pictures. Yeah, and they can take the data from people's minds and then use that to recapitulate what they must have been seeing, just from the just from the brain scan data. And I I am I I I just <laughs> cannot believe this, Steve. This is so insane. Yeah. Um, so this this, this is this is unbelievably insane so this this was taken from a paper called reconstructing visual experiences from brain activity evoked by natural movies hang on a minute let me just think let me can i just yeah. look, look, look. Yeah. okay so you've got he's done some jiggery pokery with an mri scanner yeah so he hasn't done any jiggery pokery he's just taken the raw data from an mri scanner and he's fed that to a machine learning algorithm so he's given it to a black box like magic computer black box basically no no, no. Let, let me just go through yeah. this sequentially right so He's given people pictures, yeah, or videos, yeah, and he's imaged their brains, yeah, and he's said, well, the the patterns that their brains are making in some way relate to the picture that they've seen. And that kind of so, makes sense. So, so, Mr. Computer, yeah, can you somehow relate those pictures to, yeah, the, the so things so in the hang on, hang on, yeah. the, the the things in the brain to the pictures. So he's yeah. already done that, and then he's got a bunch more people. And he shows some videos, and he looks purely at the the patterns yeah. on the the PET scanner. Is it? Uh, no, it's MRI functional MRI, MRI. function fMRI scanner. And from those alone, they've yes. been able to recapitulate. Exactly, exactly right. That's so what so he's not done. not an individual. You have to sum it over multiple people at the moment, right? So, you know, no, yeah. so they all watch. They all watch the same the, the same movies. But this is truly predictive so so yeah so they have so in this case we know the answer because you know you know what you showed them right so you can so you know you showed them the picture of steve martin from dirty rotten scoundrels yeah and so there but the learning's been done with something else exactly right oh yeah. my god in the call if that's true i'm pretty blown away i mean this guy's a he's a professor at berkeley he's not like you know he's publishing these things no, no, I'm not. I'm just saying that I, I find that so exciting. Isn't it amazing? I, find, I think that's so exciting that my first inclination is it can't is possibly be true. Be skeptical. Yeah, <laughs> it can't possibly be true. Exactly. So I'm going to, Steve, that's really I'm, interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll link that. I'm really fascinated. Nice dream. Just, just. Do you me the video for this one? This is the one with the guy, he's like standing and people walk up to him and then he says them something and they, they everyone falls over. He's lying on the floor he, no, and they come he, up to him. Oh, he starts off lying on the floor, yeah. And they come up to him and, and he, then he they... He says, like, I can't tell you, it's something really bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah and and then, then you don't find out what he says, but then yeah, everyone's lying on the floor at the end. Yeah. It's another song about depression. <laughs> if you really understood it, you'd also be lying on the floor with Mr. Happy, right. Tom York. It's actually a good song and I think that... Um, There's a car alarm I going think it's on, a actually. good concept... Yeah, we're in London. And, uh, yeah, apologies if you can hear that, listeners. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's not your car, is it? I don't own a car. You're such a beardy. No one in London owns cars. Anyway, so do you think? So this is a song. It's a song about, about depression. depression. So I had a quick look on the internet 
as one does. Yeah. Because I think, I remember seeing in the news recently, and I'm sure many of our listeners have seen in the news, that there's a bit of debate about whether antidepressant pills work. Like you mean the um, SHRI ones? or I'm just, just antidepressants. Okay. Okay. Do they work? Right. Do they work, Steve? I, do they I mean, work? I think so. They do. Yeah, okay. And we know that they work. Do you know which one works the best? The non-selected serotonin inhibitors, those ones. There's one called amitriptyline. No, that. That's the, that's got the really bad side effects. Right. But it works. And it's got something it's got an odd odds ratio mm-hmm. of two point three. What's an odds ratio? Good question. Yeah. Good question, Steve. Yeah. Yes. The odds ratio is so if it, if something's got an odds ratio of one, yeah. it doesn't work. Okay. So so, so when homeopathy. People, um, yeah. Would have an so odds the, ratio so you, Well, you can do odds ratio c- can be calculated in particular ways, but it generally shows the, you know, the, 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 kind, of the, the, the link between something that you do and something that happens. Okay. So it's not a drug related thing. This could be related to other things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it can fine. be related to anything. There's a formula for it the, on the internet. Okay. If you're interested. Show me the math. <laughs> but anyway, it doesn't, ma- doesn't really matter. So what they do is they look at the placebo. Yeah. So they take the people who've taken the placebo, yeah, and they look at the the kind of w- the outcome. Yeah, they link it. Are you happy? Are you sad? And they also take the um, the drug, and then they compare it again with an effect. Yeah, and then they divide the one with the drug with the one with the placebo. Yeah, and then if they're the same, it Got comes it. out as one. Yeah, but if if the drug is better, it comes out as, as something less. higher than one. Okay. Yeah. So two, for instance, would mean or three. Yeah. Or could also be four. Or maybe even five. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, um, amitriptyline works. Prozac doesn't work that well. Got an odds ratio of something like 1.4. Oh, really? Does that? Yeah. Th- but is that just on average? Does it work for some people and not others? Or does it, all, does it work for 1.4 to everyone? Good question, Steve. You haven't researched it well. <laughs> okay. The drugs do work. My Iron Lung. Do you like, do you like that track? What's an, um, you know what? I think this is my least favourite track. Yeah, I don't like it very much. Either. This and the next one. Uh, is a, Bulletproof, yeah. Is a kind of boring part of the album. For I agree. Me. But yeah. like, uh, to be honest, I'm quite happy for... If you're going to put some boring songs in the album, track after track six, but before the end of the album is where to put them. I think you're right. Because you want like you, have, you dip in the middle and then finish strong. Yeah, often side two in the old days had a couple of weekies in the middle, didn't it? A couple yeah. of fillers... Would it be side? I think they're probably post sides. Well, I had the bends on. I know it was obviously went on vinyl. Cassette. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah, they had two on CD. Sides on it was so. Weird. Do you remember those days when one side would be a lot shorter than the other side, and you'd have to fast forward? There'd be like twenty minutes. Of it was so irritating. <laughs> oh God! It was like the most irritating. Oh. You know, a couple of times I put an extra track on. I put a bit of sticky tape over the little hole. Yeah. And recorded an just extra track. Just on. because. Yeah, even to this day, I'm, st- I'm still tracks. jealous of people that had like an auto turnover tape deck. Do you have, I bet you have one of those, didn't you? Right. Like, you mean one that played backwards you, as well? You know, as the forwards? one you just, it would just finish one side and then just carry on playing. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, like my, fr- my mate Steve had one of those. I was really jealous of it. Steve. Yeah, and my friend Steve. What, there's another person called Steve? There is in the, on planet Earth. <laughs> anyway, my iron lung. When, um, when was the iron lung invented? What is an iron lung? 
I don't really know. I mean, imagining it's a massive device for helping you breathe. That's exactly what it is, yeah. Um, th- do you know how it works? You force a fucking big tube into your gob <laughs> and nope. it b- forces air into No, no, no. So do you really not know what an iron lung is? No. Okay, so an iron lung is, is like a, imagine like a big, like a, I mean, it looks like a coffin, right? A pressurized coffin that you put someone in who has trouble. It's a, it's a mechanical respirator, right? So now it's been, it's largely defunct. We have much better ways of doing this now, right? But um, essentially what it looks like uh, um, largely is... Largely defunct. Yeah, ah, I'll get onto that. Okay. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a big, what looks like a coffin. If you imagine about drilling a hole in the end of the coffin where your head would go and just popping your head outside of the coffin. Right? Oh, right, like a jockey getting ready for the... Yeah, doing the horse. Yeah, yeah. The next day. So, so what you've got is like a, an airtight seal around someone's neck, that, and they can like see where they're going. And, but it's their, like but a their really body fucked up barber's cape. Yeah, but yeah, but the, but the, but their body is inside a big like metal tube. Okay. Right? And then what happens is you you vary the pressure. It's called a, these islands are called negative pressure ventilators. You vary the pressure just like your diaphragm does when you breathe, right? So, so it lowers the pressure inside the box. So what happens is air and oxygen then flows into the person's mouth, whose head whose head is outside of the oh, iron I lung. See. I see. I see. And then I see. and then they and then they do the opposite, repressurize it back to atmospheric pressure, and then cool. air just comes out. Um, so um, these were used a lot for things like botulism and also polio. So apparently in the 50s, like w- wards in hospitals had rows and rows and rows of iron lungs when children specifically... Was this like in the, the Matrix? Like <laughs> yeah. Li- strange <laughs> cocoons with heads sticking out. Yeah, so apparently... Help me. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so it's sometimes called a drinker respirator or an, an Emerson respirator. Right. They're, these are they're just the names of the people that help Good invention them. though, right? Really cool. So in, like... So, so the history of these things are is that in 1670, there's a guy called John May, Mayo, uh, M-A-Y-O-W. Um, he came up with the idea, but like of the idea of using pr- differentials in pressure to be able to forcing air in and out of someone's body. Um, but it took um, uh, like a, a, well, it took until 1832 for a Scottish physician, a guy called John uh, Dazel, um, sorry, Dalzel. Dael. No, D-A-L-Z-I-E-L. Isn't that Dael? Well, maybe. Dial and Pasco. Do you remember that TV yeah. program? Dial. Dial. Okay. I think it's pronounced. Like I said. It's yeah. like you remember Ming, Ming Campbell? Yeah, Ming. Menzies. M- M- Menzies. Yeah, yeah, it's pronounced Ming. Oh, okay. Like Dial. Uh, so, so, okay, in 1832, right? Yeah. So, so it took a while. And then and it, between then, from the original invention to it yeah. being used, the first time it was used was in the early, uh, in 1928 in Boston Children's Hospital to use to treat polio. So it took, even after that invention, you know, it took nearly 100 years after someone made a machine to get it into hospitals, right? Even though they know it worked, because you know that's how long things took then. Yeah, and, and yeah obviously yeah. the the increase. I thought in them days you could just whack in any old, you know, just chop chop someone's head off. Yeah, Does that work. <laughs> yeah, it's really uh, good for um, for relieving lepsy. stress. Chop your head um, off. Yeah. So yeah, have a go. go on. So yeah, apparently. Crack on. Um, but the thing is, there are some people that have chronic conditions. So 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 in the case of polio, they put people on iron lung. They have trouble breathing for about a week, typically. These ch- children in the forties and fifties, when they had the rows of them, like the matrix. Yeah. Um, but there are some people that have chronic conditions, and the tr- there's a real issue. Is there are some people that are still in iron lungs today, right? What? Yes. Who? Right? So there's a study done, right? So in 1959, there were 1,200 people that were permanently it have what permanent? Well, they were in had conditions where they just w- were what in an iron. What kind of life island. is that? Well, so you're just sitting in a a tube. Yeah. In a wall. Your head. Your head just I mean, you could be at home. I think you, you know, but like, yeah, if you can't, if you have paralysis and you can't breathe for yourself. Um, now, but the, the the issues are is that 
for some people they're old and frail and they're in this iron lung you can't think just like take them out of the iron lung and put a well, proper respirator on their some face. People, so apparently some people that, that it works for them. The, the, the oldest documented case is a lady called June Middleton from Australia who died. She was 83 and she lived for 60 years in her iron lung. Jeez. Yeah, impressive. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, I don't know what her quality of life is. Like. I really hope she had a nice quality of life. Probably not yeah. that good, but. You know, it's good to be able to choose, isn't it? Well, so, so the issue with this thing is there's a real problem. So in 2001, there were, sorry, 1959, there were 1,200 cases in the USA. 2001, there were 39, still people still using these, these, these devices. In 2014, there were 10 people that were still using them, right? Um, so there's still people Who that the are- Who the hell in, makes them? They must be made no in one, a garage. This is the trouble. No so one does anymore. they're antiques. So now they're antiques, and there's a real issue because they need people's with mechanical skills. Because obviously, you can't just like turn it off while you fix it. No, you, <laughs> like, can't, yeah. you know, um, and they're just um, so it's apparently a real problem. Is they're trying to find people yeah. with the specific skills to be able to make these things. Well, there you go, my own luck. This is my least favorite track on the album. Yeah. Did you know that silk is kind of bulletproof? Is it really? Do you know how they know? Well, I mean, anything is if you put enough of it. If you had like a, yeah. a, ten miles of feathers, it would be bulletproof. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. You no, know, you're right. Yeah, air. <laughs> air. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just make sure you're surrounded by about a mile of air. <laughs> Completely bulletproof. Uh, yeah, but anyway, um, uh, this is apocryphal, but probably. I don't know, maybe it's true. But apparently someone got shot in some kind of bar fight. Yeah. And <laughs> apparently, apparently somebody... <laughs> Peer-reviewed science. Well, no, it was Easily Charlie. Digestible. It was um, Charlie Storms. His name was Stormzy. He was a gambler. Okay, Stormzy. <laughs> Chaz, Chaz Stormzy. I think he was attacked by ZZ Top. <laughs> that is my attempt to be gangster. I was trying to think of a gangster name. That was the most gangster came, name. I think Jay Z. So I came to ZZ, and after it said ZZ, I had nowhere else to go apart from to pop top on yeah. the top. Yeah, well, ZZ, you'd think, as, um, as a footballer. Man with white yeah. beard. <laughs> anyway, he got shot, apparently, but the bullet killed him. But the bullet remained encased in the silk. silk. Yeah, it went through. He's wearing a silk shirt. Yeah, I think a hanky. That's so the be bollocks. It's got to be bollocks, isn't it? What was the bullet size? Did it say what was the caliber? No. 22 or something? No. Yeah. Right. I mean, I did read this on Wikipedia. Oh, it must be true. Anyway, yeah, I mean, but silk, silk, actually, in all seriousness, yeah. silk is a very strong material, as you know. I mean, spider silk, for instance, is yeah. higher strength than steel. Tensile, yeah. Tensile strength than steel. So they're very strong materials. And actually, Archduke Franz Ferdinand ah. um, forgot his... Of the band. ...silk bulletproof top. Right. No, not of the band. Got the art house rocker from the, the from 1910s. <laughs> In the Balkan, um, but basically, yeah, he, um, yeah, he, he, if he'd been wearing his, it was apparently eight ply, eight. That's so it was a silk shirt with eight layers of silk. Yeah, but it's Sounds so expensive, strong. man. It's apparently it's so strong that it can deflect bullets to some extent. Wow. There you go. Black Star. So this is probably something that you enjoyed doing. This one. Um, is it something to do with black holes. Well, it's funny you should say that. So a black star, um, or a dark star, as it was also referred to, is the classical equivalent of a black hole. So like you just need, you can just explain it with like just Newtonian physics. And it was first postulated. So the idea being that if um, stars get heavier and heavier at some point, they're going to become so heavy that the, um, that the 
uh, that light can't escape the the pull of the gravity associated with them. Um, but but light, but in them days, light didn't have any mass, and no one knew how fast it went. Uh, yeah. Um, so, th- so this is pre-Einstein. Uh, people were hypothesizing this idea of, of these dark stars. Um, so the, yeah, they call it the semi-classical gravity theory. Um, but it was just a quick one. So John Mitchell was the first person to hypothesize a dark star or black star, published in the Royal Society's Philosophical Transactions in, have a guess, have a guess. Um, 1698. 1784. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah, so, and it took until like basically Hawking radiation for us to believe which is like the um, that the black holes exist, but someone had a thought thought about it in 1784. And, and the way, and actually, in that in that original letter, John Mitchell said that okay, because it's dark, how are we going to see it? He suggested looking for binary stars, uh, whereby one like one star would be bright, but you could infer the fact that from its movement that it must be near something really heavy. And that's exactly how we look for planets and things nowadays. And uh, and if that's how we discovered. Uh, was it Neptune was discovered that way? Sure, it wasn't Uranus. It might have been Uranus. Sulk. Yes, it made me think of um, uh, the teenager from um, <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Kevin. <gasps> yeah, but I yeah. just it, it Kevin took and me Perry. into a whole rabbit hole of psychobabble in the literature about adolescent brains. So I found one. There's one. Um, psychologist and I didn't know but she's the daughter of Blakemore you know Colin Blakemore yeah yeah she's now a famous um, that's cool um, neuroscientist no she's not a neuroscientist she's the um, more of the uh, what do you call it the sort of babble one psychologist type one right <laughs> so, okay she's a professor now at UCL she mm. does a lot of public communication stuff she writes books about teenagers mm, maybe we should get on the podcast Maybe. But you just said she's a babbler. You said she's a babbler. I said she's wonderful. Anyway, she's the daughter of Colin Blakemore. Yeah. And <coughs> Colin Blakemore famously is the chap who used to sew kittens' eyes shut to find out how their brains developed when their eyes were sewn shut in the 1980s. And was... It's amazing, isn't it? They were it's properly... amazing. They were properly... Um, you know, they were under police protection for a long time. Yeah. So she was a as a teenager and a child that was growing up in an environment where her father was getting letterboxed. So, so it's not it's not surprising she ended up being an academic, really, is it? She couldn't, she <laughs> she couldn't interact with humans. Straight yeah. in. <laughs> Street Spirit, Fade Out. Okay. That's a banger, isn't it? Should we fade out? Uh, um, so... I'm not going to talk about science on this because I want to talk about popular culture because on this okay. one because um, I think it's cool. Okay. So, so do you remember the video for Street Spirit? Of course I do. It's a great video. It's, it's a great a, video. I think it's an Airstream caravan and the characters, well, the band, sort of run around and then suddenly they go in slow-mo. That's right. It's all shot in black and white. Hmm. Right, remember. So It's another cheery number. <laughs> <laughs> it's the to, they, to they round are, off the album they thought well we'll go off and we'll end in a bang we'll get the shuffle on yeah <laughs> get the canes out exactly do you know what I mean everyone just, just yeah, like kick, yeah. click, heel clicks off into the sunset exactly yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um, so uh, do you know the, I was, I was kind of looking at it so, so the video there was um, uh, directed by a guy called Jonathan Glazer yeah very famous director he, do you know actually, do you know what 
other uh, music videos he directed because this got me in this whole like uh, nostalgia kick when I was trying to find some science to talk about but actually I think this is just a wonderful thing um, so he, he, he um, directed uh, Virtual Insanity remember that yeah. that is a the great music the, video um, on the moving floor on the uh, yeah the floor yeah, yeah. Uh, he directed um, Cosmic Girl is this by Jamiroquai. Purely Jamiroquai. Yeah, well, two from Jamiroquai. But that was also a very iconic video of him exactly. driving cars. Um, uh, Karma Police as well by Radiohead. They also directed that. Which yeah. is, remember that video? Do you know what film he directed? Sexy Beast. Mm. Which is why I was going to I think up. that is one of my favourite. You absolutely love Sexy Beast, don't you? Which I is do, that, because my main you thing. You just like the swearing. No, it's uh, the character played by Ben Kingsley. Yeah. Who is just. It's the most awesome character ever. The most frightening character. <laughs> the, 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 the short, scary man, the kind of yappy-type dog villain, is definitely the, the, the most scary, I think. right? Because you know they're kind of, they've got a screw loose. Whereas if someone's, kind of, if someone's very muscular or very large, and he doesn't need to, doesn't need to you know, be quite as intimidating in the same way. In order to yeah. make up for it, the, the little man has to, has to be vicious. And yeah. that's why Kingsley really owns that that role. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I I just wanted to think like th th that was a really cool video, right? And, and there's a, there's a line in that that says in in the in Street Spirit, which is you know form a circle. So be a world child, form a circle. I don't I just remember that like, bit. Well, it just seems. <laughs> is that how it goes? No. I don't know. I've never really seen that. The only bit I remember is. Winds and houses are bearing down on me. Uh, yeah, um, but I thought as we started talking about popular culture of 1995, it's a good way to end it because of the full circle and it's the f first full circle of our Well, that is album. a truly profound yeah. link there, Steve. Thanks, so I was trying to find some way to, yes, to finish wow. it. So, yeah, that's um, Street Spirit and that's The Benz. All right, listeners, you've heard our, all of our uh, um, science nuggets for the track listing of the Benz. But what you've really been waiting for is an adjudicator. Hello! It's Brian! Hello! <laughs> so how are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm right, Brian. How are you? You're doing a new thing, we're doing a, We're doing a new thing. Right, Remember the science shed? It's not the science shed anymore. No. We're, we're, we're vinyl science. Or science vinyl. <laughs> we're making bloody mind of, mate. Which one are we? I think I don't know. I've just come in the shed here. Yeah. And I, you look like you're doing something a bit different to your normal. Yeah. Doing. So, so like you've been sat in the sat in the back of uh, the the shed, just listening to us talk for a while, Brian, about our sciencey treats for uh, for each one of these tracks. And I wonder which is your favourite. Which was your favourite sciencey treat? And what's your favourite track of the album? Daylight Radiohead, mate. <laughs> you don't like Radiohead. What's your favourite? Have band? you done Shaggy? I like a bit of Shaggy. <laughs> What's your favourite shaggy, shaggy, what's your favorite shaggy tune? Oh the girls around the world. That, what's that one called though? I don't know what it's called. Uh, is, is that actually Angel? shaggy? Is, is that, that shaggy? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I love a bit of shaggy, mate. And uh, what are they the the out here brothers are like them Yeah, well. Okay, right. So is that uh, like to move it movie? That's the one, yeah. Yeah, don't like it. Well, if I had to pick one of them. Yeah. What? Um I think I'd pick uh I think I'd pick just. Just because he's got that pick of the guitars that you go. Like that bit, huh? I like the bit when you go, chick, chick, 
Do you remember that we did Nirvana? They always used to do that really nice. Didn't they really doing all it? They did the palm mute. Yeah. It's all like the, you know all that shit. Yeah. Well, it's, it's nice to talk to you about something a bit more with a bit more depth, Brian. Normally right. we're just quite high level small talk. All right, mate. Anyway, <laughs> fuck off. I'm back out the canal now. See you later. Bye. Mr. Bombastic We are some bombastic, romantic, fantastic lover Mr. Lover, Lover mm. Mr. Lover, Lover <laughs> Girl Mr. Lover, Lover mm. Mr. Lover, Lover She call me Mr. Bombastic Only fantastic Touch me on me box She says I'm Mr. Romantic Fantastic, touch me on me, but she says I'm Mr. Rose. Smooth, just like a silk, soft and cuddly, hug me up like a quilt. I'm a lyrical lover, now take me thin or filled with my sexual physique. You know me well, Bill, do me, do my, well, well, can't you tell? I'm just like a turtle crawling out of my shell. Can you captivate me, body, put me under a spell. With your couscous perfume, I love your sweet smell. You're the young, the young girl who can ring my bell and I can take rejection. So you tell me, go to well, I'm bombastic, really fantastic. Put me on my box, she says I'm Mr. Rose. Really fantastic, she puts me on my box, she says I'm Mr. Boom, boom. And set your mind at ease Don't you take to my foot bottom <laughs> Baby, please Don't you play with my nose Cause I'm a hatching sneeze Well, are you are the bun And me are the cheese And if I'm me at the rice Well, baby, love you the peas I'm bombastic And the fantastic Touch me on me box She says I'm Mr. Rose Of my heart, and we will mm, mm, and have some sweet pillow talk. I'm bombastic, and 
Mr. Pooh. 